The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Ron Wolford runs Texas Baseball Ranch, and he's now with us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Ron, thank you so much for taking the time because obviously I know you're watching your son play professionally right now. That just has to be a great thrill for you. Yes, it is, and uh, it's it's uh, great to be here, and thank you for the invite. Well, we're fascinated, you know, and this is what we've learned, you know, with the A's. You know, the A's helped change baseball years ago with a thing called Moneyball, and everybody read it, and they realized we need to start doing things differently. So we've always been looking at ways to get better and ways to change. How did you come about Texas Baseball Ranch and helping pitchers throw with more velocity? Well, it's, it's kind of a, an esoteric or eclectic travel. It's, it's I borrowed from a lot of different things. I was uh, a pre-med major starting in college. My joke always is I was one of the baseball players that actually read a book without pictures in it. So I I started to um, study things that uh, the American Sports Medicine Institute, I started studying how martial arts uh, was trained, started studying things like uh, Olympic swimming and and Olympic um, weightlifting, and really training um, at the at the elite level because success leaves clues. And so all this combined kind of led us to our approach. Well, we have always believed that velocity is something that you're born with and that throwing harder is something that, yeah, you can work on your legs or things you can get stronger, but really in the past, the guys who increased big-time velocity, at least at this level and certain levels, they were – uh, PED guys. So how did you figure out to get players to throw harder? What is it, mechanics? What is it that you guys do that makes you so special? Well, that's a great question, and, and it goes back to this. Velocity creation is really a multitudinous uh, thing, and it really is formulaic. And uh, so it's multifaceted. And here's, here's the reason I say that, and it's really important for everybody who's listening. This, this is a, a crucial point. When you look about all the different factors that create velocity, uh, for example, um, functional strength, right? That's one of the factors. Um, The the reason that so many people struggle with it is, let's say we take uh, a young man that is 21 years old or 18 years old or 16 years old, and uh, from a functional strength part in the equation, he's already at, let's say, a 90 percentile. He's not going to improve very much in his functional strength. And so then he goes and does a little bit more, and he wonders why he didn't gain velo. So you've got to look at all the different factors, and then you and what you do is you assess the player, uh, his mobility, um, his uh, mechanics, as we call it, mechanical efficiency, 
um, his uh, foundation or his, his platform, um, his functional strength, uh, his neuromuscular efficiency, um, how, uh, and then we got to see if he's training, has he trained previously, uh, really building more slow twitch um, uh, muscle fiber, that hybrid, is he, is he toward that? Uh, is he, has he been more, a, a more dynamic trainer, uh, a more explosive? You put all that in a, in a bag, and uh, then you, go with, you also look at alignment um, and uh, strength balance, all these different areas, and then you start to figure out, okay, he's really strong in these two or three, but here he's really weak, and this is where you want to spend your time on. So really the secret to it, and we just had our 390th young man break the 90 barrier. We've had 120 of our guys drafted. We just had our 22nd guy break the 100-mile-an-hour barrier. So it, it is – we've done this for the last 12, 12 years, and you start to see which areas these guys need, and, and you customize what we call hyper-personalize their training to maximize those gains. Well, I'm fascinated, and I pitched at San Jose State years ago – I'm 47 years old. Can I make a comeback? Can I come down to your camp? <laughs> we, we, uh, I had a, I, I get that question asked all the time, and I had a dad ask me the other day, do you think you can get me to 90? And I said, not a problem. We'll just get you in the back of my F-150, and we'll get it up to 70 and have you throw a ball out of there. I'm sure we could get you up to 90. Uh, so we figure out a way. But uh, all, all kidding aside, uh you know what? There's there's latent or areas that are that are undeveloped in almost every player. So I don't know about you, but I, I pitched in college. My my strength uh, was in my strength. I was very strong, but my mobility wasn't very good, and my strength balance wasn't very good. And I didn't know anything about these things. And then and then my momentum, tempo, and rhythm wasn't very good. So uh, there were low hanging fruit all around me, and I just had no idea what to do. And that's what the, uh, the Texas Baseball Ranch does is we do uh, uh, two days of assessments and finding out what, what those are and then really try to capitalize on those. Okay, so increasing velocity. Do you do anything else for the other pitches that these guys have, whether it's sliders, split, curveball change? Do you work on anything else other than just fastballs? Absolutely. And, and the, that's another I'm, – I'm so glad you brought that up because – if you throw it 100 miles an hour, but you can't throw it over the white thing, or you can't you can't bounce back the next day, or or you're 100 miles an hour on Monday, but next Monday you're down to 90, you don't recover well. The you know we're not trying to to win a, a bear at the carnival. Um, we're, we're pitching at the uh, elite level, the professional level is way more than just velocity. It, it's so much more, and so indeed. We do look at that. We have a Yocker Tech that really we're very into data. We have a, uh, you know, you know uh, all that data, spin rate, spin efficiency, all that stuff is a part and parcel of what we do. What we try to do, though, is we try to figure out what do you need first. A lot of guys, a lot of minor league guys come in and go, yeah, I think I really need to work on spin rate. And I'm like, man, you're <laughs> – that may be that may eventually be what you need right now, but your health and durability is not good, and your recovery is not good. It won't matter how good your spin rate is because, uh, but from your second outing to your third outing, you have big decreases in productivity, and that's going to get you released way more than your spin rate. 
Yeah, as they say, the best ability is availability. And when you no doubt. when when you think of so many of these pitchers going on the IL and Tommy John surgeries and shoulder surgeries, and it's just amazing how many guys are hurt. How important is it for you to help teach these guys how to stay healthy and how to keep from getting those major injuries? As as politically correct as it sounds, and uh, I, it, it is job one. It is ground zero. Nothing, even if we gain velo, it, it's unsustainable. That velo gain is unsustainable unless we have health and durability. So a lot of people, when I go to major league organizations and I talk, and I, I talk to a whole bunch of them, and I talk about health and durability and recovery, you know, and they almost kind of yawn at me and they go, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so what about, and I'm like, you're missing it. It can't be any more important. You cannot gain and sustain without health and durability. And we've got to figure out if you don't have good health and durability or you don't recover well, there's a reason we know who Max Scherzer is. He recovers incredibly well. We know, there's a reason we know Justin Verlander, who I, I visit with almost every week. And we never, almost never do we talk about rate or anything we talk about health and durability his ability to bounce back his ability to recover those are not small things they're, they're the they're the giant thing the gorilla in the room that we need to pay attention to and i know you you, you know you, you speak about some of the names i know one of the guys and i think he's one of the uh brightest guys when it comes to knowing himself is trevor bauer what's it like when you work with a guy like trevor bauer or justin verlander when you when you're talking about somebody who's just unbelievable well they're they're all just uh trevor bauer is kind of in a league by himself in this way right he is uh he, he is the one guy above anybody that i've ever dealt with that does two things really well most guys that you can imagine that are so analytical uh they actually get they actually create their own paralysis by analysis trevor is incredibly uh unique in the sense that when he crosses the line He's able to throw that all away. It's the darndest thing of anybody that I've ever seen. So he's able to be in training incredibly uh, incrementally uh, focused on the, the smallest details. And then when he crosses that white line, he's able to throw it away. Justin Verlander, on the other hand, is just such a aware of his own body. Uh, he's just amazing. And uh, that's what makes him so special. You know, I was saying this because we know CC Sabathia is going to retire. That really maybe the last guy with a chance at 300 wins is Justin Verlander. And Verlander's talking about wanting to pitch into his 40s. I mean, with, with the fact that you know you know him more than we do, do you think he'll really have a shot at getting close to 300 wins? I absolutely do. He has he has driven uh it, it, absolutely, you know, in a lot of that, that's kind of cliche. There's a whole bunch of guys that are at the top that are driven, but but Justin is so so uniquely driven. Uh, it, it, it's incredible, and his uh, his awareness of what his own body is from the time he was 28 to 32 to 35. He's just really in tune with it, and and he's able to. Here's what was really amazing to me, is he's able to modify what he's doing based on, on his, uh, his age. And, and he's just, he keeps reinventing himself. And that's, 
that's a that's something I think Maddox did. I think it's something that that John Smoltz did in a lot of ways, and that that's really the the sign of a guy that may be able to go all the way to 300 wins. It is really easy. TexasBaseballRanch.com. That's TexasBaseballRanch.com. If you are a young pitcher and you want to pitch professionally, or if you know somebody who's already pitching professionally, I would check this website out. And, and I'm assuming pretty easy to get a hold of you guys. And, and, and always, you know, not everybody has a ton of money. Do you guys have payment plans to be able to get down there to, to, to be a part of what you guys are doing there, to be a part of uh, 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 your clinics? We do. And, and for, the, for your listeners, I will do a couple things. One, there is a free report uh, that, that is very detailed on gaining velocity. It's called the case against weighted balls with a question mark. Uh, and if they would call the office, I'll just send that to them for free. Um, and the office number is 936-588-6762. And just mention that they heard it on your radio show and I would, uh, or your show, and I would happy to send that to them. Also, if there's a parent out there uh, that really has an elite pitcher, uh, there's, I wrote a book, it's called Pitching with Confidence, the a Survival Guide for the Parent of the Elite Pitcher. I'd be happy to send that to them if they just pay the shipping and handling. Same phone number. And so, so the, for the parents who, who may not have a lot of money or trying to figure this stuff out, those are two resources that will really get them started. Um, and I, I'd love to have that, put, get that in their hands. The number is 936-588-6762. And if you're, dri- if you're driving right now, don't worry about it. This is real simple. TexasBaseballRanch.com, and the number is right in the right-hand corner. Uh, absolutely fabulous. We'd love to have you on again, talk more about this. We really appreciate your time, and good luck with your son. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, I can tell you this is an absolute honor to have our next next guest here on A's Cast Live. He's not only one of the best players of his generation, a two-time MVP. He was a gold glove winner. He absolutely dominated his era of baseball. The great Dale Murphy is with us here on A's Cast Live. Dale, thank you so much for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for that introduction. And I I might say to all the A's fans, uh, you know, I'm born and raised in Portland, Oregon, but uh, I lived in Moraga, California in sixth grade. And uh, so that's probably 1968 and got over to watch many A's games back in the day. So I had a great time. Oh, that's awesome. And, And I think about what you're doing now with The Athletic. When did you decide to get into basically journalism and start writing pieces for The Athletic? And they're, 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 they're fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I've been on social media. My kids got me going on Twitter, you know, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And then, you you know, you try to expand. You try to do a blog and you, you, you try Instagram and some things and uh, – you know, I was the, the athletic just popped up, and my wife Nancy said, "Why, why don't you just approach him and see if you can, you know, put basically some of these ideas that you you have in your head that we really couldn't get the blog to go, and uh, and uh, we talked to the athletic, and they they said, let's give it a whirl. So uh, that's how it started, basically. Uh, like I say, the the things that uh, the the good decisions or the good ideas usually come from nancy so i said okay let's do it 
you know, and, and I think about one of your latest pieces where, you know, we're in this era of baseball where it's home run or strikeout, less balls are being put in play, but you hit the nail on the head in this article. You know, lately when we look at teams that have won the World Series, They've made a lot of contact when you're talking about the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, the Kansas City Royals. So the approach of just letting it fly, home run or strike out, you know, the three true outcomes that we talk about, home run, strike out or walk, you're seeing a revolution how baseball is getting back to, you know what, striking out isn't so hot. We need to start making more contact and hit the ball out of the ballpark. Well, exactly. And, you know, uh, you know, more strikeouts than hits and things like that. the challenge is, like you said, the good teams are making more contact. And so it's not, you know, nowadays it's not getting to the playoffs. It's uh, surviving in the playoffs in baseball. You know, back when I played in those days where, you know, the division winner got in, nobody else. So you got more opportunities to win games and get into the postseason. Uh, but you, the way you win games is different in the postseason because everything's concentrated because better pitching staffs are going to be there too. Better pitching staffs mean that they have more guys throughout their 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 staffs that can do what they have to do to pitch to your weakness. And so you go through the season and you're piling up these really nice-looking stats by not making a lot of contact. And I'm not talking about three, four, five guys. You know, we're going to have strikeouts there, but it's the guys that are that are hit, hitting 15 or less home runs or 20 or less home runs. Uh, those need to be guys that are making more contact because, again, what happens in the postseason is they can pitch to your weaknesses, whether it's a starter or a reliever. That's why that team is there in the playoffs. So you better be making a little bit more contact because the runs become that much more important. A guy on third with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, uh, one or no outs and you got your number seven hitter up, and let's say he hit 15 home runs, but he struck out 150 times. It just isn't going to work. You're going to—he's going to strike out. And a case in point, um, I was talking to a coach about the New York Yankees, and he uh, was—he uh, was—I was, uh, uh, can't remember who he was with, but they were getting ready to play him in the playoffs. And the scouting report was the Yankees: if you get in trouble, don't worry. Don't give in to the next hitter because you're going to run into somebody who's going to strike out. And that's that's not a good scouting report. You know, you need contact. And it's going to happen. It's it's just a little bit of a pendulum swing the other way. But I just don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, because, you know, when you think about the regular season versus the postseason, as you said, you're going to see better pitching but also now more than ever, especially in the postseason, starters don't go deep in games. And usually the high leverage innings from basically the fifth inning on are going to be pitched by bullpen guys. So not only are you seeing less starters, you're now seeing more arms and and relievers than ever before. Talk about the challenge of that as a hitter. Well, that's a much bigger challenge than I faced back in, in uh, with my generation. Uh, not that you didn't have bullpen guys and closers, uh, but this this uh, specialization. I I think in 1982, the year we won the division, I think we uh, I think we had 10 guys on our staff the whole year, maybe occasionally 11, uh, but now typically it's 13. I think the Braves are carrying 13. So you 
you're going to use them. <laughs> They're going to get used. And the uh, de-emphasis on complete games really uh, just uh, accentuates the fact that you're going to face some strikeout pitchers, not only at the beginning, but in the middle of the game and toward the end. And so, you, you, you know, you can keep swinging for the fences, but runs are going to be at a premium, unlike the regular season. They're going to come relatively easy if you hit a lot of home runs. And you're going to hit a lot of, you know, uh, multi-run home runs. And all of a sudden, you've got these big numbers. But then when it comes to crunch time, it's going to be a little tougher for you to make contact if you've been thinking the other way. I mean, just watch the games on TV and everybody's the, the announcers will say, well, it's, it'd really be good if they could make contact, get this guy in, or even on second to get the guy over. But they haven't been doing it all year. So, you know, eventually my, my point with uh, – um, uh, the more 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 contact is uh, and and Madrigal with is 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 one of the young players. A lot of people commented on my my article that there are other players out there, but this kid is is really unique. I think he had two stretches of seventy at bats with no strikeouts, and you know just imagine putting him you know somewhere in a lineup with some guys that are on base. It's going to be invaluable uh, when it becomes tougher to make contact. Yeah, I think one team that we face, and they are just unbelievable, is the Houston Astros. I mean, you're going through a lineup with with, with Bregman and Altuve and Correa. These guys are making a lot of hard contact, and it's a tough lineup to get through. You're going to love this. A good friend of uh, ours, and he's one of our broadcasters, he's an absolute uh, wonderful guy, is Ray Fossey. And Ray Fossey has talked to us before about how in one of their World Series victories, Dale, they only use seven pitchers. Were you kidding me? <laughs> they only use seven guys. I mean, you're going to have seven guys in one game in, in the playoffs now. Yeah, and that's, you know, I don't think we're going to obviously. Well, you know, I was talking to Don Sutton. Don Sutton twice with the Dodgers pitched complete games in spring training. Wow. <laughs> so, look, we're, we're it's a different era, and that's okay. But look at the advantages of more contact. The game will move along quicker. That's the one thing, you know, the stat, you saw it a couple of years ago where we went almost four minutes without contact. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to get back to the amount of complete games back in the day uh, like Ray, Ray was talking about. But, but we're going to uh, increase our contact. I think these kids are, are, are better athletes. They're going to figure out how to make contact against the 95-plus guys more often. And, uh, you know, we're just – Pitching-wise, we're not going to get back there, I don't ever think. But I, I think this trend with in, increased uh, um, uh, attention given to the launch angle and things like that and the home run, I, I think are going to trend the other way. I mean, they are going to trend the other way. They have to. You know, I, I tell people all the time, my listeners, I go, you know, back in the day it was crazy the way these divisions were where you were in Atlanta, you're in the eastern time zone, you got the Cincinnati Reds. You've got the Houston Astros. All these teams are in the National League West. It just blows my mind back in the day that a team in the <laughs> Eastern time zone could be in the National League West. What was that like for you guys always having to come out West in division? Well, it's funny because at first glance, you'd say that that's, you know, that's not going to work for you guys and it's going to be a disadvantage. But I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you, I 
I, I don't think there's any of us that didn't mind when, when you think about the number of games we, we had to play, we, you know, we wouldn't always come out, play the giants and the Dodgers and the Padres, but we would come out and play at least two. So I think we made four or five trips out there and it was a break to get away from the humidity and, uh, and, and give us a break from, from Atlanta and from the East coast humidity. So to me, it wasn't a disadvantage The the travel, you know, you're young, you don't really care about it, but it, it was good to get a break from Atlanta. And, uh, you know, the teams that played on the West coast mostly, and then came to Atlanta, it, it, you know, and back East, sometimes it was a little adjustment. So, you know, when game time rolled around on the West coast, uh, well, I will say, except for candlestick where when it dropped to about 50 degrees, but, you know, just getting a break was kind of good for us. So I didn't look at it as a disadvantage, but no question. Definitely a weird, weird thing when you look back at it. The great Dale Murphy is with us here on A's Cast Live, the two-time MVP and now writer for The Athletic. You've also done a piece on something that's kind of convert, uh, controversial and something that we just ran into again with the Texas Rangers is about – how celebrations are happening, how the young players, how it's so far different from your era, and especially the 70s and the 60s and the 50s. You don't have a problem with celebrations. Why is that? Well, I think I think it was so suppressed back in the day where, you know, it, it was such a sign of disrespect to the player. Now, I to, to the opposing team or the opposing pitcher, if you admired your home run or did, a, you know, a bat flip, whatever uh that I, I i just don't think it was a sign of disrespect now can you do it in a way that does disrespect and is bad sportsmanship yeah i think you can but watching your home run and giving some kind of bat flip uh to me just isn't isn't disrespectful it can cross the line i'm not saying that and and uh, but i think pitchers ought to be able to celebrate more you know, a big strikeout, pound their, their, you know, their glove, or be a little more demonstrative. I, I just don't think it's bad for the game, for the players to show a little more enjoyment and a little more celebration, as opposed to what we we did and couldn't do. I, I mean, I remember when the high five was invented, and I got really nervous giving someone a high five <laughs> at home plate, at home plate after I hit a home run. You know, it was like, well, should we wait till we get to the dugout? You know. I just think it's stuff that that a player should be able to do, and let's let's get over it. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes it is disrespectful and bad sportsmanship, but I think there are boundaries that that are just like, hey, that whatever he did right there is not it's not a sign of disrespecting you. It's a celebration. I and mean, look when they hit a double and drive in a couple runs, they're signaling back to the dugout with all these hand signs and and waving and crazy stuff that we wouldn't do back then. I wouldn't even think of doing, you know, it's okay. Let's get over it. It, Let's let the big personalities enjoy the game. It gets the young kids watching. And, you know, I I just don't think it's bad uh, for the game as a general rule to be a little more demonstrative out there. You know, when I think about you and your career, you played a premium position as a 6'4 guy. There's not a lot of 6'4 center fielders. And you obviously won back-to-back MVPs. You played every single game. You were the best player in your era. You were one of the best players in your era. And I think about your regular numbers. I think your analytic numbers. 
I, I have a hard time realizing that you're not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. What's your opinion on that? I know it's very sensitive to, to ask these type of things, but in my opinion, you should be because you were one of the top Ironman players, premium position, and a back-to-back -back MVP award winner. Well, thank you, Chris. I think, uh, you know, I was on the ballot for 15 years, and I, that doesn't happen too often. I'm very thankful for that. I, I have a, a core of very supportive uh, people. Um, and let's let's be frank too, the Hall of Fame has changed their voting system for uh, guys that are done. The Eric Committee now gives me the possibility of having my name come up every three years in the modern era of voting. Uh, you know, uh, instead of just being lumped into the Veterans Committee and and it's kind of random, so they've given guys like us another chance. So I'm I'm thankful for that. So that's you know where I I say you know we'll see. I'm going to get the, the opportunity, you know, to to be considered. I just got to say that you know I knew when I retired it wasn't going to be an instant instantaneous thing if at all. So I thank the the Hall of Fame for recognizing that guys needed some things to be re-examined uh, it's like jack morris alan trammell and lee smith uh, uh went in uh this year and uh um i'm forgetting the dh well uh harold baines uh, yeah harold harold baines uh you know so i'm i'm in that group and i'm thankful for the chance to be considered uh you know every three years so we'll we'll see what happens well, I got to tell you, your work with The Athletic has been a lot of fun because, you know, there's so many of us who grew up watching you play, and then once your articles pop up, you're like, wow, Dale Murphy's writing for The Athletic, and you can't wait to read it. So continued success, and we would love to Thank have you, you on the program again. Thank you. Anytime, Chris. Give me a call. Happy to be on. And and uh, I, I like I said, I, I played at an all-star game there in Oakland in 87, I think. And uh, and grew up uh, in the Bay Area for a couple of years of my my uh, my youth and have great feelings about the, the the A's and and went to a few Giants games so really really love the Bay Area and uh, got good memories from that area. Thank you very much. Gio Gonzalez joining here join us here on A's Cast Live. It has been a long time since we've seen the left-hander, a former All-Star for your Oakland Athletics, a 20-game winner and will always be a great fan favorite here. It has been a long time, and it's good to see you. How are you? Uh, well, it has been a long time, and it's good to be back, man. I'm, this this has so many great memories. I, I was lucky to have my kids here yesterday, so they got to see uh, where my old stomping grounds was, and my, my wife was in the stands, and I, I kept telling her, you know, I used to live right up in this road. <laughs> I was in Alameda, so this I remember this like uh, like it was yesterday. So. She was, uh, she was, uh, she saw the, the work that I had to put in here. So it was nice to be around here and seeing some of the new changes here. This was pretty cool. See, you know, that area in left field and right field, and obviously the stomping ground up there is pretty cool. So you got to take your kids up to the stomping I, ground to I, love it. I know. I'm, I'm kind of excited. Like some of the new pieces you guys out of here, the treehouse now, like all this area, like. It's gotten way better. You if know? you have time, you got to come up. It's like a sports bar, and I do the pregame show. Oh, you do it up there? As soon as I get done here, I roll up there. Because right now what we're doing, we're on the TuneIn app. we got a 24-7 streaming station. Yeah. We're the only team in baseball allowed to do it. We're like the oh, guinea nice. pig. Nice. And then once I get done here, I go up there and I do pregame. 
You got you to see all the different stuff they're doing. It's pretty amazing. But I told the story, and I don't know if you remember. It was right after the Bay Bridge series. You had just found out you made the team. You were standing right over here by the dugout with your father, and I can't remember right. who. And I was up there doing the, the post-game show, and we got you on, and you were very emotional because it was the first time you had made a big league roster at a spring training. That's you remember right. that? That's right. That's right. It was, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to my parents and this and that, and, you know, my dad, you know, he worked his tail off with me every day and to see, you know, the outcome and, you know, get to talk with that with your parents and, you know, making the big league roster. And then, obviously, I remember – you know, Billy and everyone kind of like having that conversation, seeing Bobby was gives you kind of emotional feeling too. you know, some of the guys you've seen. You know, I was talking to Brett Anderson a little bit yesterday and, you know, I was super excited to see him, you know, and he's got a family now. So it's like, you guys have all changed now, you know, <laughs> we went from kids to grown men real quick. And, you know, how, you know, you blink and just like that, baseball is 10 years later, you're, you're talking about memories you had here many moons ago so it's kind of cool to see that kind of stuff and you know experience the experience I had having my first all-star ever with Oakland and you know I was just mentioning how you know this place has so many great memories that I can always take with me because it was the first place that gave me an opportunity to play in the big leagues. I think that's always a thing about when people come to Oakland is you know you're going to get a shot. Yeah your, your opportunity never ends and you know they have such great coaching staff great people to always be around you know, I had Ray for the first time. Ray Fossey told me I was, you know, I remember he pulled me to the side. He goes, I've caught plenty of 20-game winners, and I think you're a 20-game winner. And the year we, I ended up winning 21, I called Ray, and I said, I, I thought of you the whole time when that was happening. So those are the memories that was left behind and, and all the excitement and the people that were put in my, you know, put in my journey to where I'm at now was unbelievable. You know, obviously being around you for years and yeah. seeing uh, – Blue Moon Odom, you know, uh, everyone you can think of that was here, Casey Casey Chavez, Eric Chavez, then, you know, Ellis, you know, Bobby, and all the people that, you know, played Cliff Pennington. I was with Cliff and, and Scranton this year, you know, you know, <laughs> same. And, and we were just talking about the old memories. Like, it's incredible, like, how, how much uh, the game does kind of evolve and grow up uh, before you even know it. You know, every organization is different, but the one thing that – this organization, if you've been a part of it, you're a part of the family. And Always. The, and the great thing about this show is there's been a couple times Coco comes out here and joins me. I love me. Coco. And then we've had Josh Reddick came out. Yeah. He was here for like 25 yeah. minutes. We That's had right. Tommy Malone. That's right, Tommy. We, yeah. We're having a, now it's you. I, I, but it's like it, it, once you've been a part of it, it'll always be a part of your career. It's always talking like memory lane, always going down memory lane, seeing some friends. Coco was another big part of my career. He always took great care of me, you know, being a young guy with Oakland, and he took me under his wing 90% of the time. You know, he would always ask me, when are you pitching? And I'd say, uh, in two days from now, he goes, all right, you're, you're going to go grab dinner with me. We're going to go talk. We, you and I are just going to hang out. We're just going to, you know, you know, he was like a big brother to me. He always took me under his wing, always showed me the ropes of how to be a, you know, a professional when you play this game. You know, he was one of the most passionate guys that I got to play around and, you know, all the highlights you see of all these outfielders, I mean, I think Coco set the bar with 90% of it. You know, Coco was robbing home runs when that was the thing, you know. It was uh, it was pretty cool to see that kind of stuff, and I got to be around him. And, you know, now I'm with Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's got those guys that kind of set the tone, Lorenzo Cain, you know, Kristen Yelich. Yeah. You know, those are the guys, Braun, Ryan Braun, like 
it's great to see these guys. I saw Bronny was a shortstop with the University of Miami. So, like, you got to understand, like, for me, this is like still being a kid around all these people. Have you uh, hooked up with Dallas Braden since you've been here? I haven't seen Dallas, and I really want to. I want to talk about his hair right now. <laughs> he's, got, <laughs> he's got something going on right now. He's got some Three Stooges going on right now. But I, I love Dallas. Dallas was also a huge part of my pitching huge, career. yeah. You know, Dallas was the one who taught me that changeup, and I always give him credit for that. You know, he was the one guy that literally took his time to talk to me during games, and the days I would pitch, he'd, he'd be right there in my ear. He was like my ring man. He was like right corner man, just uh, – just coaching me through the game, telling me how I executed and what pitches you want to make and this and that. So great credit to Dallas. I mean, Dallas is like my big brother. He's a brother to me always. So where are we right now with you? We were hoping we were going to see you pitch, I think it was tomorrow. I was, I was just telling that to Manolo. I was like, I don't know where everybody got the idea that I was pitching this series. I don't, I don't, I wasn't scheduled to pitch against you guys at all. I was, I think I was scheduled always to pitch against the Cubs back uh, obviously on Friday or Saturday, but I, I was I, it would have caught me by surprise if I was pitching this series because I wasn't expecting it. Okay, that's good news. So, so you're, yeah, you're good. It you're healthy. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was catching me by surprise. You know, obviously it would have been nice to pitch in the old stomping yeah. grounds, but uh, but I wasn't expecting to come and, and, and pitch here. I was actually kind of enjoying the, the welcome home from some of the friends I saw, obviously from the tunnel, seeing some, you know, employees that worked here, obviously the clubhouse guys and – it's it's just brings back so many great memories. It makes you enjoy it so many more, so many more times being here. Not a lot's changed. We're all still here, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everyone's still got the nice clean cuts too, man. Everyone's still looking young. It feels like no one's aged here. So Milwaukee, you guys are in it right now, and fighting for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you're right there for the wild yeah, card yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, and yeah, your yeah. division is so bunched yeah. up. Well, I, I mean, aside obviously we're. You know, we feel really good, you know, with some of the guys. And we picked up a couple of big guys. But I heard you guys picked up a hell of a guy, too, Tanner Rourke. I mean, great. I had him as a teammate in Washington, and I couldn't praise him more than I am now. Like, he was incredible. I think he was the most competitive guy I've ever met as far as on the mound. He got the job done. He was one of the fun, fun guys to watch. He had such electric stuff, and I still think he does. And I think for him, this change of scenery pitching here is going to be unbelievable for him. You guys got unbelievable defense. And the offense is insane. It can wake up any minute and strike a lightning in a bottle. You guys can score 10 runs with blink of an eye. So, And you could save up like a lot of good amount of runs. Yeah. You got gold glovers in the corners, and you got some pitching. I mean, you guys got Blake Trinan, too, who I praise like crazy. Blake was a good guy of ours, and, and, and love to see him do what he's doing now. Give us a scouting report on Tanner. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, great clubhouse guy. Uh Great family man, leader in the clubhouse, leader in, in the rotation, uh, guy who takes his job 100% serious, you know, ready to rock and roll, ready to kick butt, and he's going to help win a lot of games for you guys. I can guarantee you that. And the thing, I mean, think about pitching in Cincinnati versus <laughs> pitching here. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, you're gonna, it's, it, I'm 100% I'm committed to saying Tanner's, he's going to change, and he's going to be unbelievable for you guys. For you, this thing right here, the baseball, how yeah. much does that change in your career? It, 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 uh, <laughs> it's a touchy topic, but it has, uh, it has evolved, uh, you know, but again, I, I can, all I do is pitch. I'm now no rocket scientist. I'm not anything like that. I grab the ball, throw the ball, hopefully keep it in the yard, you know, the way these guys are swinging the bat. I mean, they're making a hundred miles per hour look like it's 85. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta make the adjustment and evolve as I go along. Christian Yelich, we had it yesterday. Going into yesterday, his last 162 games, 61 home runs. He's hitting like 344. And seeing him in person for the first time, 
He's bigger than he looks on television. Yeah, he's a big kid. What, what, what is it like playing with this guy? I mean, his numbers are incredible. I, I tell you this, very humble. Like, it's it's a humbling experience, and he's very humble as a player. You know, he he competes. I mean, that's all you can ask for. Uh, his swing is like, don't don't change it. It's perfect. He's he's picked up right where he left left off last year, and he's still lightning in a bottle for me. I think he's just keep going. You know, the Marlins did a great job both sides, but he's we're happy on this side. We're happy he's over here. I got to tell you, we miss you. You you were you were a lot of fun to have on, and I remember you when you first came up. We were having you on the radio, and, and ever since you left, we've been rooting for you. Fossey was on here earlier talking about how much he loved you, and he told the story about you winning 20 games. So we're rooting for you. Yeah. Continued success. I hope you get in the playoffs. Heck, I hope yeah. we see you in the World Series. Hey, I like that. That would be beautiful. Come out here in the Bay. I heard it's the best uh, playoff experience you can ever be a part of, huh? Oh my God! <laughs> Against Detroit, those. those I heard it was so loud <laughs> that, that like Verlander was saying I've never heard a stadium because because really it's a football stadium when you, right. and when you that's get right. a football stadium rocking right. and it was sold out and it was Did beautiful they take those tarps off the, up there the tarps were they kept those up there but oh. all these tarps are gone oh, and it was sold God. out I remember my years those tarps was permanently on there yeah they took the tarps yeah. off in the place the parking lot the I place was imagine. just and you know it just shows how good pitching is you know, Verlander two years in a row, and those ace teams are really good. Yeah. And it was two years in a row yeah. losing to Verlander in yeah. 12 and 13 in yeah. game five. But Verlander's a different breed when he comes to playoffs and World Series. I mean, that guy just – he's a different animal. Like, that guy's on a league of his own when it comes to pitching. But I remember uh, the most fond memories I had was always coming to the field on the days I pitched, and you had the whole parking lot, you know, just cooking up a storm. Everybody's out there, you know – just celebrating already without even playing the game yet so it was cool to go in there and you know i remember the you know the bay series seeing those guys you know when the giants came into town and that's when the rock stars of the giants were in town and we played them and they played us it was the most exciting series i've ever been a part of well you know what billy bean always likes to bring people back you (laughs) you never know that's right billy billy one thing i always thank billy for he put me in the best situation to be in washington and uh, I remember having that talk with him, and Billy always uh, – he took great care of me in that situation where he, he knew where I was going, and he said, this is uh, – I think this is one of the best fits I can boot for you. So I couldn't thank Billy for, for more than what he did for me. Washington changed my career after that. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming out of the clubhouse and coming down. <laughs> not, not a bad set, huh? I love it. I mean, you can't get – you can never get bored of this weather. This weather is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You remember that? I always tell that over there. I was like, you guys don't know what you missed out in music. I threw in that Motown. People always pop their head in, and they were like, what's playing? Is Gio pitching today? Yeah. Oh, you we knew if it was about Motown. <laughs> Gio Gonzalez, right. the lefty, was on the mound. That's right. Ray made sure of that. Hey, buddy. Thank you very much. You, it's great to see great you. Great having me. And congratulations on everything and a great Thank career. You. Thank you. And uh, you know we're always pulling for you. Uh, and I love it. Thank you. Oakland's always the best place for me and gave me a home, and they'll always be in my heart. Dan, what do you think? You think it's a pretty good location to do a show every day? <laughs> it's hard to beat, Tony. I mean, it doesn't beat what you guys do in the front office. Dan Kantrovich joins us here from the A's front office after the trading deadline. But this isn't too bad. Not at all. Not at all. Beautiful day for a game. So how excited are you guys? To, you added a lefty, and now Tanner Roark, you add a right-hander, a starter. How you feeling? Yeah, I think we feel like we addressed our goals. Uh, coming in, we wanted to fortify the pen. 
and I think we did that with Jake, and we wanted to solidify uh, and improve our, our rotation. And I think we did that both with Homer Bailey earlier in the week and, uh, and then today with uh, Tanner Rourke. So, you know, looking back on it, I think we feel really good about having to address both those goals. You were put in a really tough spot with Frankie Montas, right? I mean, Frankie was ascending to be one of the better pitchers, could have been an all-star. But once you lost him, it was like now you needed more than one. You needed two guys you had to go out and get. Yeah. You know, I, th- I, I think, uh, you know, all things being equal, obviously we would have uh, preferred that not to have happened. But, uh, you know, Dave and Billy have said all along that, uh, you know, we're going to let the, the team do the talking. And if they were in a position, uh, you know, come – this week where you know adding made sense we were gonna we weren't gonna hesitate and uh you know i think we were able to leverage the the depth in our farm uh without you know giving away too much to uh you know to get some pretty valuable additions here down the stretch so i i think about tanner and i've been talking about the great american band box there in cincinnati going from there a losing situation where it's so tough to pitch to now coming to a winning situation and pitching here i don't know if you've been able to talk to him yet but I got to think he's fired up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he is. And, you know, like you mentioned, I think one of the things that we looked at was certainly his performance in, in a ballpark like that compared to how he might do here. But, you know, also having the, the defense behind him, uh, you know, that we have here is, uh, you know, we hope that's going to, you know, help his numbers. Historically, he's been, you know, kind of an innings eater type that's been really durable. And, uh, you know, I think he's showing about you know, four pitches, uh, you know, with the curveball being probably his, uh, you know, his primary out pitch, but we think it's going to, you know, translate here, and uh, we're looking forward to having him uh, contribute, you know, towards the top of our rotation as soon as he, uh, as soon as he arrives, I think, uh, this weekend. It was great having Gio Gonzalez on because they played together with the Nationals. I yep. said, give me a scouting report, and, uh, you know, the first two things he says, he's great in the clubhouse. Yep. And he's going to go out and compete. Yep. He, he's one of those kind of tough guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his, uh, you know, he features a 88 to 92 mile an hour fastball at times. He'll, you know, run it up to 94, 95. And like I said, he's got that, you know, that, that wipeout curveball that he relies on. But, you know, he'll also uh, mix in a slider and an occasional changeup. And, you know, we think he's got the, the goods to go a couple times through the order. And, uh, you know, then once, uh, you know, hopefully we can shorten our game and, uh, you know, get to our bullpen, uh, you know, as soon as we can. And if you guys get into the postseason and can get some length, because yep. this is a crazy stat, that last year in 2018, bullpens pitched 50% of the innings in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different game. And, uh, you know, once you get to the postseason, and I think uh, – you know things uh, like workload and, and rest, and uh, you know how you how you want to utilize guys uh, certainly changes uh, kind of the, the the calculus a little bit. But uh, you know I think that's one of the reasons why we felt like we wanted to add a guy like Jake. I mean we're we're confident in our pen right now. We've got you know some, some depth there, and everybody's performing at a pretty high level. But uh, you know as we saw last night, you know from the left side, you know it's a pretty uncomfortable at bat. You know, versus Deekman. I mean, it's an upper 90s fastball with, uh, you know, truly a wipeout slider. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that, you know, that velocity once you get into the postseason, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we can see that again this year is is something that, uh, you know, every team features. Uh, and I think now we've got it from both the left and right side, which is uh, which is an exciting and I think a pretty potent weapon for us. So last week on the David Ford show, I said this to him, and I'm going to say the same thing to you because you've been a part of this for a while, too. When I think about you guys, you guys are not scared, right? That's the thing about your front office. You're not scared to make moves. You're not scared 
to where I think in our game now we have so many people who are data-driven people, numbers people, right. and numbers people aren't risk-takers. You get into numbers, they're more conservative people. So, and it actually got brought up. I've been talking about the past couple of days, and it got brought up today on the MLB Network. Do you see people being a little more conservative than when you first got in into your career, especially what we saw now with this deadline? You know, I, I think one of the things we're seeing is, uh, you know, consistent with what, what you're saying is that there's, a, you know, a lot of teams seem to be valuing players uh, in a similar fashion. So I think uh, sort of matching up and extracting value in a trade situation is, is increasingly difficult. Uh, you know, if, if every, you know, if the guy on the other side is, uh, you know, valuing them in a similar way, it's going to be tough to say, well, you know, let's, uh, let's get a deal done. But, you know, at the same time, there's buyers and sellers this time of year. And, you know, I think people are looking at different time horizons. And, uh, you know, David and Billy and, and a credit to ownership, you know, we're, you know, set out to, you know, we want to be aggressive this, uh, you know, uh, this trade deadline. And, and you know, we we gave up some, some good players. I mean, Jamison Hanna, uh, you know, who we gave up for uh, Diekman is a, uh, you know, is, is, is a strong prospect and, you know, he's somebody we really liked. So, you know, I think uh, you, you do have to, you know, take a certain amount of risk. Hopefully it's, uh, you know, calculated, uh, you know, on, on, on both ends. But, um, yeah, you're not going to get players without uh, giving up good players. That's that's definitely something that, that we're seeing, I think, uh, happen increasingly now. Yeah, and, and that's the one thing that's it's always been like that around here is, is if you got a chance, you guys are – you guys are going to make some moves to try and help this ball club. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, I think uh, you know the, the the players have uh, you know put us in a position where uh, you know a couple moves uh, you know here and there I think could could make a big difference. And uh, you know I think uh, you know it's probably um, you know going to the trade deadline with with goals to improve your bullpen and solidify your rotation. I, I think. Uh, you don't often see both of those uh, actually coming to fruition. And uh, I think we were lucky where, you know, and, and, and put in the work where, you know, it, it, it did. And I think we, you know, we're, as a result, we're pretty happy with uh, what transpired today. Big surprise for me, and I was thinking about this after the postgame show yesterday, is two of the biggest pitchers, especially before Grinky, when you had Stroman and Bauer, were both traded to teams who are not in it. Yeah, I it just you know normally you think teams that are in it are going after those guys. Those are really moves when you say they're made for 2020. Yeah, you know I I think every team has their own definition of uh, whether they're they're in it or not. And um, you know I think history's shown that you don't want to you know count out teams that you know even are or four or five out right now. I think with the the addition of the second wild card, um, you know you never know who who, who you might see in the playoffs. So. Um, you know, I think uh, every team examines it, you know, through their own lens. And uh, I, I think right now to assume that certain teams aren't in it, uh, you know, would, would probably be, uh, you know, an, an error on our end. So, uh, you know, I don't really know what some of the, the other teams were thinking. But, yeah, there were definitely some uh, some moves we didn't expect to happen in the, in, in the last few days. For so sure. this was a different deal because this was it, right? There's no waiver claims yeah. after this. You had to make the moves. Yeah. What was the juice like in the war room making these trades, especially today, knowing that, you know, you can't do anything after this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, fortunately, we were – our team is, you know, at home while we're going through this. So, we've, you know, got the full benefit of, you know, our coaches to tap into, the training staff to be on call for, you know, looking at the medicals. And, you know, we were – you know, we've been in the office, uh, you know, nonstop over the last few days and, you know, got in pretty early this morning to – uh, you know, to, to keep working on this. And, you know, there, there has been a lot of energy around it. And, 
you know, I think, like you said, with the, uh, the the new rules this year, that's definitely changed it. Uh, you know, to some degree, there's probably going to be, uh, you know, uh, we had a you know unexpected roster crunch. I think for every you know every team sees that now a little bit earlier, uh, and you have to kind of look forward and say, okay, well, you know, come you know the you know the off season when you're preparing for the Rule Five draft, uh, you know, is this somebody that is going to you know be on our roster or not? And if you estimate that you might you know lose that player in the off season, well, then maybe you're you know, getting a little less for that player today. Uh, but, yeah, without uh, trade waivers, uh, I think it, it, it definitely uh, it maybe created a little bit more urgency for teams. So the only possible way that you could pick up somebody now is that a team would have to just basically outright cut a guy and then you would have to take on their entire contract. Is that where it, where we're at? Right. You'd have to pass through waivers and you'd have to claim them and, and, and then uh, – yeah, but it, it's it's you basically lose them. You know, you're not going to get anything for that player. Uh, so you know, for example, last year when uh, uh, you know during the Ver when the Astros acquired Verlander, uh, you know they traded uh, you know a few pretty valuable prospects for him. Uh, you know, we're not going to be in that same situation. Uh, teams can't be in that same situation this year. It's it's basically over today. Well, I can tell you, my phone today. As soon as the Grinky news came down, I started getting all these texts like. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to use the language that was on these texts. <laughs> yeah. uh, what was it like for you guys when you heard that the Astros got Granky? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think we're, you know, we expected that, you know, we weren't going to be the only team that was going to be trying to improve. Uh, you know, and we know that, uh, you know, teams have a history of making bold moves in the past. And, uh, you know, we expected uh, a little of that, you know, today. Uh, you know, I think uh, you never like to see that when it's in your own division. Um, but, uh, you know, we feel good about the, the additions we made. And, uh, you know, we can't really do anything about what, what, what the other teams acquired except for uh, just keep trying to improve. And, you know, as long as I think we keep playing good baseball, we can probably compete with anybody out there. You know, there's, there's certain teams that obviously you have better relations with. Yep. I mean, very obvious, the Kansas City Royals are someone you've got to get a relationship yep. with. Uh, what is that like when you're working on a deal, working on a deal, working on a deal, and then it falls through? Yeah, it, it happens quite a bit. And, you know, I think uh, that's why, you know, when we when we set the goals going into this deadline, it's uh, it's it's sort of unusual to, to come out on the other end having met all, you know, each one of those goals. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there's for every deal that we make, there's probably – you know, five or six that, uh, you know, we wanted to make and, and, and fell through for one reason or another. Um, but, you know, Diekman and Rourke and Bailey, you know, these were our top targets going into the, the deadline. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty pumped about, uh, you know, adding these guys and kind of seeing how they're going to improve our club uh, for the next couple of months. So now with no the waiver process gone, yep. Now what do you do as a front office for the next two months? <laughs> yeah, right. We're kind of in uncharted territory now. Um, you know, there, there's still plenty of work to do. We're going to have to, you know, we're trying to, in September, we'll have to, you know, bring up some guys, uh, you know, from the minor leagues and try to figure out who, who's going to give us the best chance to win. Uh, so there'll, there'll still be plenty of roster construction and management uh, going on. It'll just be a, a little bit different than in past years. I want to ask you about Triple A and yep. the numbers down there are just yep. <laughs> just insane. Yeah. I, how do you really evaluate who's doing who, who who's really improving? Who can help you up here? 
or I mean, because the numbers for pitchers are off the charts bad. The numbers are off the charts good for the hitters. How do you evaluate all this? Yeah, it's really difficult. You know, I, like you said, the the numbers are skewed a little bit by uh, you know a change in, in the ball. Uh, you know, to make matters a little bit more complicated, we have a new park this year in AAA in Vegas. Um, you know, and, and and the ball travels uh, quite a bit there, as we've seen. Um, so you know, I think you have to pretty try to compare things to league average. Uh, and compare players, uh, you know, against each other uh, instead of maybe what you know what we've seen historically. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely I think throwing things a little bit out of whack. And you know, I think suffice it to say, if there's a pitcher down there uh, doing well, um, you know, the, the, there's a pretty decent chance that it's going to transfer it up here. You know, I don't think we can always say the same thing about uh, you know a hitter that uh, uh, is putting up gaudy numbers right now. By the way, if you ever need help scouting in Vegas, I'll fall on the sword for you and go down there. If you, if you guys ever need any help with the aviators, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll do that for you. Noted, noted. Hey, always appreciate the time. You're fabulous on there. We need to do this more. Sure, anytime. And now you got two months. Now you got two months before the postseason. Yeah. Uh, we can do a little bit more, and uh, coming down here doesn't stink, does it? No, this is a pretty good place to be. Congratulations on what you're able to do with the deadline, and uh, it's a two-month sprint from here on out. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's an absolute A's legend. He's a baseball legend, the Hall of Famer, Tony La Russa. Tony, it's so great to catch up with you again. Looking forward to it. Thanks. You know, when I think about what you're doing now with the Boston Red Sox, was it like your relationship with Dave Dombrowski and what you guys are doing there in Boston <clears throat> and, and just going through the trading deadline that we just had? Well, we have a history, you know, not a lot of people know about it, but when I first started managing in the White Sox minor league organization in 1978, I started with a double-A club. Dave Dombrowski had just graduated from college, and he joined the organization as just an assistant farm director. So we got started the same year, and in 1986, uh, early in June, he got fired, and in middle of June, Dave Duncan and I got fired. So we got fired, hired and fired the same year, and for 30 years, wherever he was, and I was, we stayed in touch and, and, um, last in November of, of 17, I, they brought me over here and got to experience that, uh, the world championship season, but he's a great, uh, you know, he's got a ton of experience. He's a great general manager. And, uh, we just went through, you know, it's really arduous cause there's so many days and nights that you spend as a staff looking at, you know, the needs and uh, possible trades of other clubs that uh, by the time four o'clock came around on Wednesday, man, it, you know, I was glad to get it over. Yeah, I bet. And uh, I've always been a big fan of Dave's. He was actually the first GM I ever interviewed in my career way back when, when he was the Marlins. So I always root for you guys. How strange was this deadline that normally after the 31st, we have the waiver process, you can claim guys, and this was a hard deadline. What was that like? Well, it created a different kind of urgency. Uh, you know, the unknown is always special the first time you do it. So every organization was trying to think their way through it. It did require that you make a quicker decision about whether you're a buyer or seller. And the fact is that you get towards the end of July, there's a lot of uncertainty and you would prefer in some cases to wait and have a chance in August to improve the club. But, you know, you play with the rules as they are. And they're just, like I say, it added urgency, tons of phone calls going back and forth between all the 30 organizations. And in the end, it was uh, what you've been seeing lately. You know, there's a lot of, 
priority with team. They hold on to their young talent and uh, and not really looking to uh, make a trade for young talent if you only get two months of, uh, of another player or pitcher. Well, I can tell you here in Oakland, everybody was pretty shocked and the front office was shocked that Zach Greinke did end up in Houston. What was the reaction in Boston? Uh, well, you know, we, you know, they're not in our division, and uh, and we figure like if uh, if we see them, it'll be in the playoffs. And if we if uh, we play them in the playoffs, then you know they'll have three outstanding starting pitchers, and we have three outstanding starting pitchers, so we'd be ready to compete. But you know, that's uh, I think it's an aggressive move, and they think you know they're having another. It's a third year in a row that they've really you know really really been tough in the West, so they're going for it. How much do you enjoy the wild card because it keeps so many people in it? Red Sox, you look at the Athletics, you look at the Rays, you you look at Cleveland, all these different teams vying for the American League, and there's so many different teams in the National League. How do you like the wild card? Well, I think it's uh, it's added a lot to our game, and I actually think the second wild card has been really good. You know, some people make it don't like because of the one game in and out. But uh, what, what was happening, in, especially if you had two real good clubs in a the division, then they really kind of just cruised to the end. If one finished first, great. If they finished second, the the penalty for a wild card, in fact, in 2011, when we won the World Series in St. Louis as a wild card, you play an extra road, road game. You know, it, it isn't that much of a penalty. And uh, the whole point was that you wanted to, to – uh, be able to give credit to a team that finished first in the division over six months. And if you got in by the wild card, you're happy to get in, but there's another one you had before you qualify for the remainder of the playoffs. You know, you had to, you had to beat that one and in or out. And, uh, you know, I hear some complaints, but I think it made sense. It had a lot of excitement to that game. Plus it gives real meaning to finish first in the division. The Hall of Famer, Tony LaRussa, joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. And, Tony, where we're doing this interview in the A's offices, right outside from where I am in the studio, they run this video about the greatness of the Oakland Athletics since they moved here in 1968. And a big part of this video is your run when you were here, and especially in 1989. And we've been seeing a lot of the 89 guys and honoring these guys Truly, what was it like to manage that group? It was such a dynamic group, and you won the championship in 1989 against the Giants in the sweep. Well, it started, uh, you know, we had done a great job, you know, with uh, Carl Keel and Keith Lipman of taking young, talented guys, putting them into player development. By the time they came to the big leagues, they were ready to work and play, and the evidence was Jose, Mark, and Walt were rookie of the years. And then you had guys like Steiny and, you know, Mike Gallego came through the system. They were really good players. So, uh, you know, Sandy had a great offseason, 87, November, December, I guess it was. And for 88, 89, 90, you know, we went, we, we were a, a really good club. And what was it like? You just, you know, I don't make any pretensions, man. The, the club was so well, uh, so well put together that, uh, my job was to tell them what time the game started and who we were playing and kind of just watch and enjoy. And, and I think what the, the A's are doing now 
is really honoring all these great teams, all these players, the players from 72, 73, 74. We've recently honored the 89 team. And when you get to see Dennis Eckersley and Ricky Henderson and all these guys, how much do you appreciate this new, this new regime for the A's truly honoring its history? I think it's a huge step in the right direction. You know, I had the good fortune uh, when I left the A's after 10 years and working for the house family, which is a, you know, break anybody would, would really, <laughs> would, would uh, appreciate uh, walked into St. Louis where they really make a, a tremendous effort for years to look at their history. And every time you went anywhere, you saw Stan or red or Lou or Gibby, you know, red uh, Brock. So I think, that fans enjoy uh, being connected to the past. They want to celebrate them and honor them because you should never forget the history. And if you don't do it, you know, it kind of slips away and you forget, you know, they want three straight world championships. It doesn't happen. So uh, uh, that was a special part. And, you know, we did our share to get in. I, well, we still, I'm still on. A lot of us are haunted that we only won one of the three in our chances. You know, I think about the organizations, the historic organizations you've been connected to. You mentioned the White Sox, the Athletics. You know, this the the St. Louis Cardinals just ooze baseball history. And now with the Boston Red Sox, obviously we know the great history of the Red Sox. You've always done a good job picking teams that have a tremendous history. <laughs> well, I got picked for this one because that's uh, I was lucky with the, being the manager. But Dave being here and he was going to hire a young manager named Alex Cora who uh, he thought maybe I could help him. And after spending a couple of days with Alex, man, this guy, he's, he has a wonderful background. I haven't done a whole lot here except cheerlead, but uh, and he also has a great bench coach named Ron Renneke. So, but it is, uh, you know, your point about history, you know, for all those years with the A's, we come in here and, you know, those are some great games. We had the two playoffs in 88 and 90. So uh, unfortunately that was, those are good memories because we won, but, in 04, we came in here with the Cardinals and got swept. So, you know, bittersweet. But this is a special place. They, uh, the fans totally, totally embrace this ball club. And, uh, and uh, I mean, they live and die with them, which is a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, Boston, it's, uh, it's incredible, the Northeast, the way they cover games and where they do, as you said, live and die with every single game. As I have my family is actually season ticket holders to the Red Sox, and they, they just absolutely love it. And for you being in the front office, you know, it's so different from being a manager, but you've seen the front office evolve over the years. You mentioned Sandy Alderson, who's now back with the A's. Just talk about how different everything is with analytics, technology, Versus what happened when you first came up as a manager? Well, you know, I was lucky because uh, starting in Chicago with Jerry Reinstorf and then coming over to the A's, you know, with Sandy and the Hosses, uh, they they really were looking to be as uh, forward pioneer as they could, gathering information. And then you have a coach like Dave Duncan who just was a genius about developing different, you know, charts and so forth. So, uh, we we always were information crazy, getting ready to play. But the one thing that that uh, that we had the confidence from upstairs was that once the game started, they invested in us the authority and the responsibility to make the adjustments, which are so part of uh, of trying to win because the game is very dynamic. 
And now, you know, there's definitely a lot more information. A lot of it is very similar uh, to what was there before, but it comes in a different format. What you have to be careful is to strike the balance because in some places they're literally, you know, telling their manager, hey, there's your lineup. This is how you handle the pitching. This is a, this is you can't do this with a running game. You can't do this with a bunting game. And that's to the detriment of, uh, of, of winning. So I, I think there's an evolution going on. And I think, you know, sooner or later, people will start realizing that uh, there's a great value in the analytics. And then you balance it with the traditional and, and, and uh, the fact these guys are human beings down there, man, you gotta, you gotta check their heartbeat every day. Cause it changes. I'm so glad you said that before we uh, talk about ARF, I'm so glad because, yes, we know of some managers who really aren't making decisions. It's it's all about the front office. They're telling guys what to do. And I always like to say, especially on the postgame show, is you are dealing with human beings, not robots. And that's what makes our skipper here in Oakland so special, just like you were in Bob Melvin. It's still people that you're dealing with. It's still a people business. You still need to communicate with these young men. Talk about Bob Melvin and some of the good managers still in, in this game where communication is still one of the number one things. I think the, uh, you know, you, you do get a lot of information that's very useful. Uh, but unless you get guys to play the game and play the game properly, you, know, you can't do that with a bunch of percentages in a script. And uh, Bob, Bob is, uh, you know, one of the masters of, taking the information. I mean, they do a great job with the uh, A's and putting rosters together and, and uh, setting up an opportunity. But Bob and the coaches are, uh, are uh, I mean, they've proven what they can get out of that club. And, and it's a real day-to-day adjusting kind of thing. And uh, I just want to, you know, I just, I guarantee his peers understand how outstanding Bob and the coaching staff is. Uh, and by the way, and, you know, there's a disrespect sometimes with some of these younger front offices. They, uh, you know, they're all full of themselves, which is okay. But, you know, you got to understand the value of what, uh, of what, uh, an everyday adjustment and and reading your personnel and building it on relationships, not percentages. Well, not only are you a baseball legend, but here in the Bay Area with Animal Rescue Foundation over the years, what you have done for animals in the Bay Area and, and even outside of the Bay Area. And Liam Hendricks, the all-star here at the A's, has talked about he's teaming up with ARF. I know you're busy right now with the Boston Red Sox, but do you have any events coming up and anything we can help you promote that's coming up, especially after the baseball season, that ARF is going to need our help? Well, I appreciate that. You know, Arthur's is in his 30th year, if you can believe it. And we appreciate Liam and his wife uh, being a part of what we do. Uh, uh, you know, we're working hard at it. And there's always something going on at Arthur as far as, you know, trying to get more animals, more dogs and cats into homes and, and uh, not euthanized. But, you know, we do a, we have a, a wine and whiskers event in September where we uh, we really showcase the, the, uh, the facility. I would encourage people to Look at the uh, website, which is arflife.org. And the other one that's really uh, topical right now, Chris, is that uh, seven years ago we started a program where we put dogs with veterans with PTSD, and that has gone viral, man. It is so great that we're actually right now constructing a, the first, the country's first private facility on our back lot. 
So it'll be a combination community center training center so that we can match these dogs with, uh, with the veterans. And it's, it's the testimonials that know to prove that we're, we're on the right path with this. So, you know, people can help with that because we're, you know, our capital campaign, we're right towards the end of uh, raising all the money. And we've already started building because we're having confidence that we'll raise it. So if they want to contribute to, to that capital campaign, they can visit the website as well. You know, I know your legacy in baseball is so big, but your legacy with this, Tony, and, and what what it has done around the country is truly amazing. Uh, did you have any idea when you started ARF years ago how big this would become, how many animals you would save? Did you have any idea? No, not really. And I mean, it's really important. You know, Elaine, you know, my wife of years, uh, and our daughters, Bianca and Devin, I mean, we all share this passion for companion animals. And Elaine was much more knowledgeable than I would. I loved him, but she knew more about, you know, the euthanasia, the euthanasia, the euthanasia and the need for spay neutering and so forth. So the, to attract the volunteers and the support to have a staff that we have, uh, you know, we have an executive director, Elena Baker, who's been with us 25 years. Uh, that whole team, when you put everybody together, the volunteers, the staff, <clears throat> you know, the heart and passion of, uh, of our family, uh, no, no, we were hoping to build, you know, 10,000 square feet and save a few. And, you know, our, the, the original the, the facility now in Walnut Creek is 32,000 square feet, man. So it's gone way beyond. And actually, and you know, it, it, being a manager and having a chance twice a day to talk to the press, once we discussed baseball, there was always room and notes. We got a lot of free publicity, which we've taken advantage of. Well, Tony, you know what you mean to the A's community and what you mean to our fan base and this organization. We always appreciate the time, and anytime you need help promoting anything with ARF, you know we're here for you. Thank you so much for coming on again, and be well, and good luck to you and the Red Sox the rest of the season. All right, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Rob Friedman. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, the nickname, the Pitching Ninja, that's one of the best ever. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So what exactly do you do as a pitching ninja to help pitchers get better? Oh, I, I, I do a lot. Mostly I try to help people see what actual real uh, top pitchers do. For example, mechanics, uh, pitch grips, kind of everything. Well, and, I study and, the game. Okay, so are, are you into all this technology that we have now with these high-tech cameras and Rapsodo and, and all the different radar that, that – teams are using i literally have a rep soto that i use in my basement i have a, have a full-fledged bullpen in my basement and use rep soto all the time yep definitely use all that so who's coming to you is it big leaguers is it minor leaguers it's college guys who are you working with well i mean most of the stuff is is well i have a i have a team of folks that i work with i'm a volunteer pitching coach at a at a local high school and then work with players around town um some actually come in to town to work uh with me but it's online it's mostly everybody i mean i have major league folks that will text me or dm me uh pitchers to see what other pitchers are doing grip wise to ask me how their pitches looked to uh try to sometimes it's just to highlight a nasty pitch they may say hey check out what i threw in the seventh inning that made this guy look stupid and i'll put that online well, the thing that I like about what we're doing with pitchers now is, you know, years ago you'd have a pitching coach, you'd have a catcher, you'd be in the bullpen, you'd throw a nasty pitch, 
and everybody would say, yeah, I kind of the way I like the way it looks. Well, now you get the immediate feedback on the grip, and with everything that you know about spin rate and spin efficiency, once you throw that pitch and you see what it, you you know right exactly like this is the grip I need to use. Uh, you exactly right. I mean, it used to be that you'd say, "Hey, that was nasty. Did it move?" Now you can actually tell if it moved. The other thing is with the high-speed cameras, a lot of times you can't exactly feel what you did, or you, it's, it's a little misleading. You may think you held on to the ball longer when you didn't, and you can slow it down to you know a, a thousandth of a second to see the ball coming off your hand in, in high definition to see actually, no, it left my middle finger this time where usually it leaves my other finger, and this is what I need to do to be successful. So combining the two is really the magic to making a filthy pitch. How well do you know Nathan Patterson, this guy that the A's have signed, and we, we really don't know much about him? He's the mystery guy. He's a natural. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've known him since January, so one of the other cool things that I do is, is not only help establish pitchers with their, with their stuff, but I also help folks be see, seen with exposure, um, help the scouting community find folks. And he had uh, tweeted to me in January, he was throwing with a cast on his on his arm, on his left arm, on his glove arm, um, and was throwing 95 with a cast on his arm. I'm like, holy crap, this guy's really good. I mean, his mechanics were fantastic. So I tweeted him out there. They had a bunch of interest, but nobody he really wanted to, to get a lot of pro interest. And for he had some conversations, but uh, nobody bid at the time. And uh, I'd been keeping up with him. We've been uh, texting and DMing, and he's a really good, really good dude. Uh, just had his mindset on making it, and he ended up. His brother tweeted him out throwing in a stadium, you know, radar gun booth at uh, the Rockies game, and he hit 96 there. And I knew who he was, but I tweeted it out, and uh, and it just took off. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, this guy's awesome!" And I think that just made everybody take notice. And uh, folks were jumping on him. I mean, it was like, hey, who is this guy? Uh, but I had known him since January and, and kept up with him. Really good dude. And, uh, I mean, you guys will love his, his arm action. is is crazy. Uh, it, it's as easy as you can ever imagine. Now, the thing for me covering Major League Baseball, and I've been doing it for a long time, years ago if you told me a guy threw 96, I was, I was impressed. Now, right. now everybody's throwing 96. I'm watching guys throwing 98, and they're getting lit up. Hitters have adjusted. They're, they're hitting these fastballs at 100 miles an hour to 98. They're used to it. So does he have something other than 96? What else does he have? He, he has a pretty nasty slider as well. But what, and, and, and I think he can get – I mean, he'll be able to get hitters out with that. But the big thing he has – is you can throw you can throw 96 to 98 and be topping out. I think he's got more in there. I mean, we're talking about you know a 95, 96 guy who really hasn't mapped out his lower half and isn't using it as as well as he could. It's his arm action that's really getting there. So somebody with development skills um, as well as strength and conditioning, he may be an upper 90s hundred guy. Uh, you know, a lot like Blake, like Blake Trinan as far as ease of uh, ease of mode. It doesn't look like he's throwing more than 75 miles an hour. The ball just jumps out of his hand. How big is he? 6'4", uh, like 6'4", I believe. So that's a very, I mean, obviously, you know, we get to see Blake on a daily basis, and Blake's a big kid, 
And as you mentioned, the thing about Blake, it's so effortless, but yet you're looking at the radar gun. It's got sync, and it's 98 miles an hour. So if that's the comparison, <laughs> that, that is very interesting to us. Yeah, the one thing I can compare it to is, is Blake Trinan's stuff is kind of off the charts when he's on. I don't think there's anybody in the major leagues that has a – I mean, a, between a sinker and slider it, and, and actually the cutter he added, he's – He's off the charts filthy, so I don't think Nathan's got that sink to, to his pitch. But you know what? It's something he can work on. Not everybody is blessed with the motion and the mechanics that a Trinan or, or, or Nathan have. Uh, but the other stuff, that's what really takes you to the, other, to the next level. You're and, right. And, and we know that all pitchers now, it's all about velocity. Everybody wants to, to throw harder. Is that something you help pitchers with, helping them get ticks up with their velocity? Absolutely. I mean, velocity isn't the key necessarily. Well, it's a key to getting getting uh, folks out, as well as things like tunneling, uh, pitch grips, any anything to make the hitter's reaction tougher. So if if you make pitches look like each other, a slider looking like a fastball, it makes it tougher on the on the hitter to react. But absolutely, help uh, help pitchers throw harder because they need to be noticed. Nobody gets noticed throwing 88 with command. Uh, on a video, at least. I mean, you may be Kyle Hendricks, but there's not that many of them. Yeah, explain tunneling to my audience. Sure. Uh, tunneling is, is, is making your pitches look similar to each other to a batter. So um, I, what I do on, on Twitter a lot is show overlays. I try to put two consecutive pitches or two pitches on top of each other to see how hard they are to distinguish uh, for a batter. So if you can make your slider look like a fastball for as long as you can and then it and it kind of dips out of the out of the tunnel, it makes the hitter's reaction time that much harder. The hitter has to it, it's very hard for hitters to pick up spin despite what you hear everybody saying, oh yeah, you just see it out of hand. Hitters really don't do that all that well. Um, so if your fastball and slider or change up, they if they can look the same for as long as possible and then separate. Uh, that's kind of an, an optimal way of viewing tunneling. So, like, they're in a tunnel and then diverge. Okay, so 60 feet, 6 inches. Where between the mound and home plate do you think the end of the tunnel is, or is it different for every guy? It's kind of different for everybody, and it would, ma- it would depend on how fast they throw. So, if you're throwing 100, it, it, it shortens up the reaction time, and your pitches don't really even have to necessarily look like each other that deep into the tunnel because a hitter has to react that that much quickly or that quick. Uh, someone like uh, Hendricks, he, he, I've seen his, his fastball and changeup may may map each other all the way to the plate sometimes, and I actually have some where I, where they where they do, and it's amazing. It, the only thing that differs between the two, they stay in the tunnel the same the same all the way to the plate. The only thing that differs is the speed of them. So it may differ by eight miles an hour, but they travel in the same path, which makes it really hard for a hitter to hit. So it really depends on your stuff, um, how, how much movement you get, as well as the velocity about what, what's going to be key for you. And, and it's really, there's no one size fits all. There's no one answer. And I think that's kind of the hard thing for coaches to get used to, but it's actually kind of easy for me to do is to, to kind of accept what you have as a pitcher and then to work with what you have versus making everybody do the same thing. There's no cookie cutter. Did you ever take a look at Marion Rivera, his fastball and his cutter? I, I have. Um, and, and well, I mean, he's, he's, he's crazy. I mean, it's, that's, uh, he's kind of off the charts when you look at that. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he basically had one pitch for his entire career, and it was <laughs> arguably the greatest pitch of all time. Where, where are you located? I'm in Atlanta. Okay, so if, if I'm a young pitcher and I want to come see the pitching ninja, how do I get a hold of you? You know, the, the best way to find me is on Twitter. Um, if you follow me at Pitching Ninja, you can uh, watch my stuff. I'll, I'll help anybody out online. I try not to have as many people over my house because my wife may kill me. Uh, but occasionally I do. I mean, it depends on, on the person. I've had, uh, I've had major league pitchers over here working on, working on stuff. So if I'm a pitcher, I can, have, I can take video of myself and send it to you. Heck yeah, absolutely. The pit, I love it. The Pitching Ninja. Hey, Rob, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome. No, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, anytime. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.